Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I have a very special guest today. Zach is out of town for the weekend, so instead, we have brought on my friend Gustav. Hey guys, happy to be here. So Gustav is going to be finishing up the Modern Horizons set review with us, and last week we had a lot of exciting cards. This week we've got even more. There's so much to talk about with regards to this set. But before we jump into it, I just want to briefly talk about our Patreon page. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and access cool rewards for as little as $1 a month. And of course, if you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Okay, with that, I think we can go ahead and jump into the new legendary creatures spoiled in the second week of Modern Horizon spoilers. Do you want to go ahead and read this guy? So the first new legendary creature is Pashalik Mons. It's two and a red for a 2-2 legendary goblin warrior. And the text box says, whenever Pashalik Mons or another goblin you control dies, Pashalik Mons deals one damage to any target. And then it also has an activated ability. You can pay three in a red and sacrifice a goblin to create two 1-1 red goblin creature tokens. I think this card is pretty interesting. At first, I wasn't that on board because there are already a lot of goblin commanders. But one of my followers suggested that this could be a different style of goblin deck. We already have, like, Krenko for the goblin aggro. Right. And we have Zeta for sort of a goblin combo deck. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, to be fair, it does run other token types. But generally runs a lot of goblins. They were suggesting that Pashalik Mons could potentially be like a slower, grindier, more controlling sort of goblin deck. Because, like, I have a Krenko deck, and I have tried to make some of the sack outlets Mm -hmm. in red work for it. Like Sheevan Harvest or Goblin Trash Master, or, say, Arms Dealer, Dark Dweller Oracle. But I found that, like, those just, like, weren't what my deck needed to do or was interested in doing. It was just a little too slow when what I wanted to do was just make gobos and swing them sideways. So do you think this guy slides right into any existing Krenko deck? Uh, that's That's an interesting question. The thing is, it doesn't make tokens by itself, and Krenko... Although it can sacrifice it goblins, it's not great at farming the dies triggers. Mm-hmm. And I think that activating this guy is like really slow and there's probably better things you can do with your mana. What I was thinking is maybe in a Perforos list, because paying four mana and getting four damage to all your opponents, that's not a bad rate. Like That is a very good rate, yeah. Yeah, I think that some Perforos lists already run Goblin Warrens, so it's kind mm-hmm. of similar in that respect. And, of course, in addition to just generating the tokens, you're also pinging stuff. One How thing- do you think that works, by the way, the second ability, flavor-wise? That is a good question. It's, it's definitely not, like, weirding Shaman flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's using magic to, like, split you guys in half. Goblins work in mysterious ways. Yeah, yeah. Let's not uh, concern ourselves with how goblins reproduce. 
But one thing I want to mention before we move on to the next is that because it has a pinging ability, it's really, really good with death touch equipment. Basilisk Collar, Gorgon's Head, Gorgon Flail, all that stuff. Also, uh, Neko Tay, which is an equipment from, uh, I think, Betrayers. Whenever a equipped creature deals damage to a creature, tap that creature, and it doesn't untap as long as Nekote remains on the battlefield. So some tech for you if you want to make that work. All right, next, I'll read this guy. Uh, it is Yogmoth Thran Physician. He is a 2-4 human cleric for 2 black black, and he's got a couple abilities, so just stay with me for a second, guys. Protection from humans... And then activated ability, pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card. And then finally, he can pay black black and discard a card to proliferate. There is a lot going on here, yeah. This guy feels like he could be a role player in many different types of decks, I think. Yogmoth works very nicely with other cards that reward you for placing minus one minus one counters on creatures. I've got a friend with a Hapatra deck who is very excited to run this. Yeah, he would be in the 99, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. You can't place Hapatra in your Yawgmoth deck, sadly. Maybe that's for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess he also works well with just other cards that reward you for putting creatures in your graveyard. Mm-hmm. And maybe even other cards that reward you for paying life. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. So I have a list. It will be posted in the episode description. But I've got some favorite tech that I really want to include. So this guy does a lot of things that I really enjoy doing. That's some of my favorite things in Magic. I love sacrifice outlets. I love discard outlets. I like proliferating. So he kind of does it all. And so there's a lot of cool things you can do with him. Let me just start off by clarifying that Hapatra interaction. It also works with Nest of Scarabs. What happens with both Hapatra and Nest of Scarabs is when you put counters on stuff, you get to generate tokens. So with Yogmoth, you can pay one life and sacrifice a creature to put a counter on something. Then Nest of Scarabs is going to trigger and give you a 1-1 insect. At the end of that little loop, you're back where you started, except you've paid one life and drawn a card and put a minus one minus one counter on one of your opponent's creatures, presumably. That's pretty solid. It's basically a Yogmoth's bargain. And as long as there is toughness remaining on your opponent's creatures, you can continue to draw cards. And Yogmoth's Bargain, by the way, is banned in Commander. So that yeah. tells you something about how strong this card potentially could be. Absolutely. Other things that work well with him, you can use the minus one, minus one counter on, say, undying creatures to reset them. So if you have two undying creatures, or if you have Micaeus the Unhallowed and any two non-human creatures, you can basically sack them as many times as you want mm-hmm. and then continue to put minus one, minus one counters on them after they have undied so as long as you're willing to pay a lot of life you can keep drawing cards till your heart's content Uh and there are a couple undying creatures that add additional value onto that so Uh for example jarl's messenger when he enters the battlefield target opponent loses two life so you can make it so you're also killing your opponents as you're doing this so another cool thing about yogmoth is that he works well with creatures with dies triggers So, for example, Mind Slicer is one of the strongest dies triggers in Commander. It's two black-black for a 4-3 horror. When it dies, each player discards their hand. That is a powerful effect. The fact that your Commander is really, really good at drawing cards Mm -hmm. means that you don't care so much about discarding yours, but your opponents are 
less likely to be able to come back from that. Yep, you can restock your hand very easily while they can't. And then one last thing that I thought was pretty cool is Yogmoth and Necroskitter. So Necroskitter has, uh, whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, if it had a minus one, minus one counter on it, you can return it to the battlefield under your control. Assuming your opponents have a bunch of tokens or Llanowar Elves or just other small utility creatures, you kill one small thing of theirs, Necroskitter brings it back under your control, then you sacrifice it to kill something else of theirs. So you just kind of machine gun down all their stuff and draw a bunch of cards. Seems like a, a pretty powerful interaction. All this tech and more is going to be in the deck list, which you can check out for yourselves. It also seems like a good opportunity for like a theme deck. Ooh, I'm all about that. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Because Yogmoth is like the historical leader of the Phyrexians, you could probably make an old Phyrexia theme deck with all the, the cool stuff from Antiquities and Urza's Saga and Invasion. Seems like a fun place to fit those cards if that's kind of your jam. We could talk about Yogmoth for, I think, a full episode, but <laughs> let, let's, let's move on. Um, so we have one last legendary creature for you this week. And it's Hogak, the Arisen Necropolis. It's five black green, black green. So a total of seven mana for an 8-8 legendary avatar. And there's a lot going on here too. Uh, the first line of text is you can't spend mana to cast this spell. As far as I know, that's the first card in Magic's history that has this line of text on it. I, I believe that's true. So how are you going to get him down? Well, luckily, he also has Convoke and delve so each creature you tap while casting this spell pays for one generic mana or one mana of that creature's color and each card you exile from your graveyard pays for one generic mana does he have any other cool abilities he does he has two more <laughs> one of which is cool at least so you may cast hogak arisen necropolis from your graveyard and finally he has trample as well mm. yeah that is a lot to process I actually think you can get this guy down consistently on turn three. And that's pretty powerful. Like in terms of Voltron, having an 8-8 trample on turn three seems like a pretty solid game plan. Yeah. Are there any other commanders that could compete with that, you think, in terms of power on turn three? So I'm thinking like if you could ramp out your Ruhan of the Fomori mm -hmm. or whichever one of those Maros has power and toughness equal number of cards in your sure, opponent's hand. Sure. I think that guy's three mana. So there's a couple, but they are a few and far between. And I think that this guy is also maybe more consistent than some of the other options. Like you could get down a Zergo Helm Smasher on turn three. You know, you just get your, your Soul Ring or your Mana Crypt, you make it happen. Mm-hmm. But this guy, you could happen in every game. Basically, there are a lot of good cheap creatures in these colors. And then there's also a lot of cantrips in these colors that can dump a ton of cards in your graveyard. Mm -hmm. So Grizzly Salvage, for example, is a card that was originally in um, Return to Ravnica. But it's black-green for an instant. Reveal the top five cards of your library. You may put a creature or land card from among them into your hand. Put the rest into your graveyard. So... There's like nine or ten of these cards. Yeah, there are quite a few of them. There's a green one that lets you find a land only yeah. and then puts the rest in your graveyard. Yeah. And that effect also exists straight staple into a creature, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Seder Wayfinder, mm -hmm. I think. 
there's a bunch of those and so it's really not that hard to cast some combination of like a couple cheap creatures and one of those grizzly salvage variants in the first couple turns of the game and then just get Hogak down by exiling a bunch of cards from your graveyard and tapping a couple creatures yeah so it sounds like you think Hogak is going to be a Voltron commander I, I definitely do so just the fact that he doesn't do a whole lot other mm -hmm. than be a pile of stats like most commanders are designed in the form of like hoop and reward mm -hmm. and i definitely think the hoop on this is like how do you get this guy onto the battlefield if you can't spend mana and the reward is just the 8-8 trample part it is nice that you can cast him from your graveyard and there are things you can do with that so for example if you have say life's legacy or momentous fall or greater good all of those cards allow you to sacrifice your creatures and draw cards equal to their power. And so it's kind of cool that you can do that and then just recast Hogak from your graveyard. Right. I guess this is one of few commanders that you're probably happy to just let, let him go to your graveyard when he dies. Another class of cards I like better than the, the sacrificing stuff with Hogak is you're also on color for things like Hunter's Insight, Hunter's Prowess, Rishkar's Expertise. Garak, Primal Hunter, all of these cards either draw you cards when your commander deals combat damage to a player and you draw that many cards, mm -hmm. or they just draw cards equal to the creature's power. So spending like, you know, three to five or six mana to draw eight cards is a pretty solid deal. And I think that the benefit of doing that over like a life's legacy or momentous fall is that your commander is still beating in and like achieving your Voltron game plan. This isn't a control deck that just wants to draw a million cards. It's a Voltron deck that can draw a million cards. Right. Yeah, the more I think about this card, the more I actually like it as a Voltron commander. I've never been a big fan of Voltron strategies. Mm -hmm. I think they're honestly not very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this guy is feels like the most, to me, interesting Voltron commander. I mean, compared to just playing turn one Izamaru, mm -hmm. and then just piling stuff on top of that, that's not very fun to me. Yeah, a lot of Voltron commanders are just like a pile of stats or like a couple of the traits that Voltron commanders really need. I'm not going to go into this too deeply, but Voltron commanders typically have some combination of haste, large, power to cost ratio, some sort of protection, some sort of evasion. Those are like the most necessary characteristics for a Voltron commander. And most Voltron commanders are just like those things. Mm -hmm. um, but this actually, the fact that it has a hoop and you do have to build around it more than just putting right. equipment in mm -hmm. your deck yeah. makes it pretty cool. Yeah, I actually like this card a lot. One last thing I want to add is like, because you're in black, you're on color for some really cool Voltron enablers. You've got Glistening Oil, you've got Phyresis, you've got Tainted Strike. You just need to bump his power up a little bit and then you're in the like one-hit KO infect range. With that, we can move into the main deck cards. All right, let's do it. Okay. As always, we do this in Wuburg order. So the first card is Ephemerate. It's a single white mana for an instant that reads exile target creature you control, then return that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control. And it has Rebound, which reads, if you cast this spell from your hand, exile it as it resolves. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. So you basically get the effect of the card twice. Mm -hmm. This is pretty good alongside commanders with really powerful ETB triggers. And there are a couple of those in the format. I'm thinking of the first Lavinia 
who detains all of your opponent's permanents CMC4 or less. So that's pretty good if you are getting it repeatedly. You're locking down all their utility creatures. You're locking down all their mana rocks. That's pretty strong. And the fact that you get to do it twice just for a single white mana. Yeah, I think this is about as cheap as you can get this effect. Another powerful commander that might be interested in running it, Niv-Mizzet Reborn. He enters the battlefield and he gets... 10 cards out of your library and then however many of those are in a color pair you put those into your hand so in my niv-mizzet list even though typically you want most of your deck to be two colored cards ideally like sort of spread out among those 10 combinations there is a little bit of room i think for effects like this because your primary win condition is kind of just like beating in with niv-mizzet and this is really good at both protecting him from removal and also getting his ETB trigger again multiple times. Right. On average, you're drawing like four cards off of that trigger. It's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you build around this card properly, it's definitely worth a slot in your deck. But mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful because in the average white deck, it's not really worth a card. Like as cheap as this card is single white mana to do this twice i still think it's not really worth a card i agree i think that if i was running say like a blink deck then i would probably prefer to run some of the strong blink engines that are available that can do this every Mm -hmm. single turn and like really rack up the value but your commander has a powerful etb trigger i would consider it next we have irregular cohort so this is two white white for a two two shapeshifter When it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 colorless shapeshifter creature token with changeling, and the cohort itself also has changeling. So it's all creature types. And I've said this many times over the course of both of these set reviews, and uh, I'm going to say it many more, but changeling is really powerful. There just are some commanders that reward you so much for committing to their tribe that you don't really care what the card does. You just care that it's got the right type. Reaper King is the best example of this, and I'm going to keep bringing mm-hmm. him up. When all of your Scarecrows are Vindicates, then you just really want Scarecrows. You want to get as many Scarecrows onto the battlefield as possible. You want to do it as cheaply as possible. You don't care about Grim Poppets, even though like Grim Poppet is like one of the most powerful Scarecrows. It also costs seven mana, so it's not what Reaper King cares about. In that deck, Irregular Cohort is four mana for two Vindicates and two three threes. That's a good rate. Reaper King also runs like a lot of things like Ghostway and Eerie Interlude, things that are able to blink a lot of creatures really easily. Those work even better with a regular cohort because you can get more of the triggers you want. Do you think you would put Ephemerate in that deck? That's a good question. I would consider it because of how strong the ETBs are. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely try to prioritize like the mass ETBs Planar Guide also is another card that does that. Another thing that's worth mentioning is that a regular cohort makes three vampires in Edgar Markov, and Edgar Markov runs a lot of lords, so that is a lot of power for just four mana. And then there are a couple other decks that are running cards that are basically equivalent. So even if they don't have particularly strong tribal effects, like 43% of knight decks run Call the Cavalry, which is just three and a white for a sorcery, make two, two, two knights with vigilance. Mm -hmm. And like 38% of knight decks run Gallant Cavalry, which is three and a white for a two, two knight with vigilance that makes a two, two knight with vigilance when it enters Mm -hmm. the battlefield. 
So essentially the same card minus the Vigilance. And if those cards are worth running, this is worth running. And you could say the same for allied reinforcements in ally decks and a regular cohort. I'll read the next card. So this is On Thin Ice, a single white mana for a snow enchantment aura. And it has enchant snow land you control. And when On Thin Ice enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until On Thin Ice leaves the battlefield. What are your thoughts on this card? I'm not very high on this card. Obviously, it requires you to run a lot of snow basics mm-hmm. for this to be any good, or at least some number of snow basics. Yeah, I don't know if I feel like the effect is really worth the price. The card is not worth the deck building restriction, I think. Let's say that you're already in a color that can easily swap over to snow basic. Let's say you're running mono white. What do you think about it in, in that scenario, where it's not so much a deck building cost as just as a removal spell compared to other removal spells? I guess it's fine. I mean, it is Swords to Plowshares without giving your opponent's life. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's Sorcery Speed. Yeah. But yeah, it is, again, as as cheap as this effect comes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not being instant speed is definitely a big downside. There's a couple of easy points of comparison for this card. There's Journey to Nowhere, which is one more mana, but doesn't require a snow restriction, and it's not an aura. That hasn't really seen a lot of play. There's also Chain to the Rocks, which is essentially the same card, but instead of sticking it on a snowland, you stick it on a mountain. And that also doesn't see a ton of play. But it is worth mentioning that the fact that it's an aura makes it relevant for SRAM decks, because he will draw a card every time you cast an aura spell. So maybe in that specific archetype, assuming you've got room for removal among all the combo pieces, it could be worth it for this to just be like, get rid of something for a while, draw a card for a single white mana. Yeah, when I first saw this card, I was excited about putting it in an enchantress deck, mm-hmm. but then I realized, oh no, wait, I have to enchant a snow land. Yeah. And my three-color enchantress deck is probably not going to want to run very many snow lands. Exactly, yeah. When I was running um, Tuvasa, I only had room for like six basics or something. It was pretty low. Then again, if you're fetching, you could make it work probably. It seems like there are probably better options. Like, for example, you've got your your access to Journey to Nowhere. You can pay an extra generic mana and not have to worry about having this stranded in your hand. Exactly. Moving on to another aura. Would you like to read this one? Sure. This is Reprobation. It's one and a white for an enchantment aura. And it says, Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature loses all abilities and is a coward creature with base, power, and toughness zero and one. This is definitely not a Darksteel mutation. No. And why is that? So Darksteel mutation granting indestructible is a huge part of why it's so good. If you're trying to change your opponent's commander into something else, you want it to be locked in that state for as long as possible. So if it's indestructible, then it's resilient to removal and they have to have something very specific in order to get rid of it. They need enchantment removal or a sack outlet or like a minus X, minus X effect, or an exile effect. Mm -hmm. There are fewer ways to get out of that situation than there are for reprobation. So here you could just jump block, and then your commander is is free, right? You can recast them. Absolutely. Or just like any board wipe will get you out of the bad situation, or any removal spell you're likely to run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've got another changeling next. This is Valiant Changeling, five white white for a shapeshifter. It's a 3-3, and this spell costs one less to cast for each creature type 
among creatures you control. This effect can't reduce the amount of mana this spell costs by more than 5. It also has Changeling and Double Strike. This could potentially be white-white for a 3-3 three, three Double Strike. You Plus gotta... whatever tribal reward of course. your commander yeah, of course, grants of course. you. But the thing is, because it's a shapeshifter, because it has Changeling, it's most likely to be run in a tribal deck. And if you're just running a whole bunch of cats, for example, then you're not likely to get a whole lot of cost reduction, like cat cleric and maybe cat soldier. That's not going to get this guy down to playable levels. You're not really excited to play him as a four mana, three, three double strike. Right. But if you're playing him in a tribal deck that runs a bunch of changelings, then that kind of changes the equation because all of those changelings have 600 creature types. So this guy is going to be two mana for a 3-3 changeling double strike. I'd say that in the decks that are already running a ton of changelings, it's worth running this guy as well. So off the top of your head, what commanders do you think would be interested in that? Are there any that stand out to you? I hate to keep going back to this well, but Reaper King is the best example. The Reaper King. The Reaper King. He's probably going to run every single changeling that costs two or less mana which is a fair number of them now, as well as a couple of the the best ones that cost three, because some of the three-cost Scarecrows are still worse than some of the best three-cost Changeling. There's like Mirror Entity or Torian Mauler, things Mm -hmm. like that. This card really rewards you for playing Changeling creatures, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like I like Changelings as filler for tribes that need more members Mm -hmm. for you to be able to play them. Yeah. So I like that this guy can be a stand-in for, he can be a scarecrow mm-hmm. or a cat or a knight. But I think it's weird that he rewards you for playing these other changeling dudes that also are every creature type. Like, it, are we going to have changeling tribal decks soon that just run all changelings? I was thinking about building that. You I, were, all right. All right. That is a good point. I feel the same way. I would prefer if changelings were just hole fillers, but I really dislike the tribal commanders that are so strong that they force the actual members of that tribe to be outclassed right. by, by these shame. changelings. Maybe at the end of the episode, we'll just go through mm-hmm. some of those really quickly, but we got a lot of cards to cover. We're, we're not even done with white. You want to read this next one? Sure. The next one is Vesper Lark. It's two and a white for a 2-1 elemental creature. It has flying... And when Vesper Lark leaves the battlefield, return target creature card with power one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it also has Evoke for one and a white. Evoke means that you may cast this spell for its evoke cost. If you do, it's sacrificed when it enters the battlefield. I I can think of a very narrow use for this card. Unlike Revelark, it doesn't combo with Karmic Guide, but there are other things you can do with this card. If you were to have Vesperlark on the battlefield and then cast a clone variant and it has to be a clone creature. That clone enters the battlefield as a copy of Vesperlark. Then if you have a sacrifice outlet, you sacrifice the clone Vesperlark. It gets its trigger. It will see that there's a 0-0 clone in the graveyard and it can return itself to the battlefield. And so at the end of that, you're in the exact same position, except you get whatever the sack outlet netted you. So if that's an Ashnod's altar or Phyrexian altar, you netted mana. If it's a blasting station, you've pinged someone, or if it's an altar of dementia, you've milled somebody. I like that usage of it. For a while, I've been mulling over this like blue-white clone combo list because I was just so stoked by the idea of like Sun Titan, get back Phantasmal Image, oh yeah, copy a Sun Titan, 
the insane value. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is definitely another piece to help make that deck work. There are also like some one power creatures that it can get back, but I don't think if you're just using it as a one shot, it's that worthwhile. No, you probably want to use this as part of some kind of combo engine. Mm -hmm. It looks very abusable. It's the kind of card that might be fine now and then just be completely broken later when they print other creatures in the mm -hmm. future. I, I do like seeing power-based reanimation because that is a lot funner and easier to abuse than CMC-based mm -hmm. reanimation. There's just a lot more options there. But it's a, it's a cool card, and I'm glad it exists. Yeah. Ooh, can I read the next one? Absolutely. The next one is a blue sorcery. Echo of Eons. It's four blue-blue. And it says, each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards. And it has flashback for two and a blue. Um, so those of you uh, who <laughs> have been paying attention, this is a time twister mm -hmm. for six mana. Or if you flash it back, it's actual time twister. Yeah. Two and a blue. I love that on a lot of cards in this set, they're taking off. I don't want to say the training wheels, but the, the handicaps, the blinders, the the things that like keep cards from like breaking standard or whatever. The last time we've seen an effect like this was time reversal, and that exiled itself. And the fact that this doesn't means that you could potentially loop it with another time reversal effect. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful, yeah. So what are some of the decks that can make use of this? I think the first commanders that come to mind are those built around wheel effects. And by wheel effects, we mean cards or effects that discards all players' hands, mm -hmm. and then each player draws typically seven cards. Mm -hmm. So those would be the first Niv-Mizzet and the third one, I think. Yeah. And there's the Locust God, there's Nekuzar, and there's even Urza, Lord High Artificer yeah. from last week. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he's a little bit different than the other ones just mentioned. Like, they actually have the text on there, like, they trigger when you draw a card. Urza is a little bit different in that he's not triggering off of drawing cards, but the thing he provides you with is a ton of mana. His deck has so, so much mana in it. And what you really need to make that deck work is to find a way to convert that mana into more cards. In, in my Urza list, I was running a lot of draw sevens, a lot of like windfall and time spiral and time reversal and all that. And so this card is perfect for that deck because it's a way like, well, I've got a bunch of mana. Let me refill my hand, get a bunch more zero mana artifacts, make even more mana, flash it back, draw more cards. It's exactly what that deck is looking for. Mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to say about this card? The arts. Pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. Flavor text is nice. I think this card is, is an A for mm -hmm. me. It's my favorite so far. Yeah, I am into this card as well. All right, we are going to move on to... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I hate <clears throat> having to bring these up every set review. All right, uh, Fairy Seer is a single blue mana for a 1-1 fairy wizard. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you get to scry two. Yeah, you should play this in your Edric decks and probably nowhere else. That sounds good to me. Moving on to the next card, Merit Lage's Slumber. Ooh, this is a fun one. One in a blue for a legendary snow enchantment. When it or another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 10 or more snow permanents, sacrifice it. If you do, create Merit Lage, a legendary 2020 black avatar creature token with flying and indestructible. What are your thoughts on this card? As splashy and cool as this card is, I think it's really the first 
ability that makes this card <laughs> worth running. So mm -hmm. the landfall scry one ability. Yeah. So as long as you stock your blue deck full of snow basics, which you might be doing anyway because you're running extra planar lens mm -hmm. or some other card that rewards you for playing snow basics. Scrying sheets. Scrying maybe. sheets. Uh, then this is really just a very cheap enchantment that turns all your land drops into scry ones, mm -hmm. which is very good. Um, and then if you somehow manage to put 10 snow basics <laughs> or 10 snow cards on the battlefield, you get a 2020 flying indestructible token, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I think it's comparable to maybe Search for Iskanta, or if you're running like Thassa, God of the Sea, just sort of as a scry engine. I just realized, by the way, that the card counts itself. Okay, the fact that it counts itself, I can think of another deck that could potentially use it. Mm -hmm. You could potentially run it in the Circu Citadel combo deck that I mentioned right around the time we were doing War of the Spark previews. Circu is two blue-black for a legendary human wizard. He's a 2-3. And when you cast a blue spell, you can exile the top card of target player's library. And whenever you cast a black spell, you can exile the top card of target player's library. So Circu is your commander. And the entire deck is based around finding Bolus's citadel and getting it onto the battlefield. So your top card is always revealed. Let's say the top card is a ponder you cast your ponder and then before it resolves while it's on the stack you've got this circu trigger and if your top card is a land which you can see it you can exile it with circu and just make it less likely that your combo fizzles so that deck is running a ton of cards like ponder that are just scrying really cheaply to help you get through your deck without hitting too many lands and i think that merit lages slumber as just like Two mana, scry one, and potentially scry more if you hit a land drop. Actually seems like a right fit for Circu. Are there any other staple cards outside of the basics and Cold Steel Heart that are like incidentally just happen to be snow permanents? No, unfortunately. Okay. And I was hoping we'd see a little bit more of that in this set. The one I can think of is like Boreal Druid. Oh, yeah. He's green for a 1-1 one, one elf, and he taps for a colorless mana, but he happens to be snow. That makes a snow mana. But generally, no. There's not a lot of them. Next, we have Mirrodin Besieged. It's two and a blue for an enchantment that reads, As Mirrodin Besieged enters the battlefield, choose Mirren or Phyrexian. And if you choose Mirren, the card has a triggered ability that reads, Whenever you cast an artifact spell, Create a 1-1 one, one colorless mirror artifact creature token. And if you instead choose Phyrexian, the ability is at the beginning of your end step, draw a card, then discard a card. And then if there are 15 or more artifact cards in your graveyard, target opponent loses the game. That is a sweet card. Yeah, it joins the elite group of cards having the same name as card sets yeah. in Magic. There are quite a few of them now. Yeah, I love those. I'm not sure there's a single deck that wants both halves of this card, but for the Mirren half, it seems pretty good in, like, Urza, because Urza is, like, already running, like, Psy, Master Thopterus. It's not as good as Psy, because mm -hmm. the best thing about Psy and Urza is that you can, like, play your zero-mana artifact, get your Thopter, and then tap them both for two mana, and then sack one of those cards and draw another card you can cycle through your zero-mana artifacts and still be up a tapped Thopter. But the effect is still good. The fact that it's three mana as opposed to more for like an efficient construction or something, like doubling up on your mana is still solid. I, I would say so, yeah. 
And also it provides a win condition, which Urza decks can sometimes be light on because they're, they're so packed full of just bobbles. Yeah. So what about the second half of the card? So, the splashier half? Yeah, well, yeah. What would you do with that? I don't think it goes into any artifact deck. Because like some people have been talking about, oh, you just run it in Brea and you sack a bunch of your artifacts. I think that like if you're trying to get the 15 artifacts in Graveyard by drawing 15 artifacts and then casting 15 artifacts and then sacrificing 15 artifacts, that is a lot of work. If you manage to do that, you should have won some other way already. Yeah, but there are some blue artifact commanders that have a self-mill component. Like if your blue artifact commander has some way to recur artifacts from your graveyard then you're probably going to run something like a mesmeric orb some yeah. some sort of artifact that just incidentally mills you and then you have just more options of cards to recur so what i was thinking was maybe sharum the hegemon especially because she has a combo that she's digging for like you just really really want that sculpting steel or that phyrexian metamorph and so if you can get it by potentially like milling six cards mm -hmm. a turn off of your mesmeric orb that's great drawing. you're milling anyway right? yeah another commander i was thinking is like hannah ship's navigator she's all about artifact recursion so she would probably be okay with milling herself silas wren one of the partner commanders is black blue and when he deals combat damage to somebody you can cast an artifact from a graveyard that also seems like it would be a good option for running this card all right next we're just gonna Try to blaze through these. All right, let's blaze. The next one is Mist Syndicate Naga. It's two and a blue for a 3-1 Naga ninja creature. It has ninjutsu, two and a blue. And whenever Mist Syndicate Naga deals combat damage to a player, create a token that's a copy of Mist Syndicate Naga. So if you manage to connect with this guy, then you have two of them. Mm -hmm. And of course, the tokens also have this self-replicating ability. So if you manage to get in with the tokens as well, they will keep doubling. If you've ever played with Giant Adiphage or Spawn Rive, then you, you're aware that this is a pretty powerful ability, and it can get out of hand if you're not actively controlling it. Yeah, you just need to find one opponent who's stumbling slightly, mm -hmm. and you can pick on them and then just watch your army of Naga Ninjas <laughs> grow. What decks do you think might run this card? Probably Yuriko, mm -hmm. just because it's a ninja. Definitely agree. I also think that um, there is one other commander that might be interested in this card. Tetsuko Umezawa. I've kind of dumped on her before because she rewards you for doing a very specific thing. But because she's just in mono blue, there aren't actually enough cards that do the thing to make the deck work. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those commanders where like it's going to take five years for this to work, but I'm just going to keep sort of hit her in the back of my mind and eventually the deck will be real because it's a 3-1 it's got one toughness that means that yuriko makes it unblockable and so you don't even have to have an opponent that's stumbling like you're just getting in with your 3-1 miss syndicate dudes that is every pretty turn. sweet I'm, I'm all about that we got a bunch more ninjas we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these because these ones unlike miss syndicate naga only go in a single deck mm -hmm. they're all just good for yuriko so I'll, I'll read these off real fast. Moonblade Shinobi is three and a blue for a three-two human ninja. It's got ninjutsu for two and a blue. And when it deals combat damage to a player, create a one-one blue illusion creature token with flying. 
it's cool that it makes things that enable ninjutsu for whatever other ninjas you got in your hand. Phantom Ninja is one blue-blue for a 2-2 Illusion Ninja, and it can't be blocked. Also enables your other ninja, that's tight. Finally, we've got Ingenious Infiltrator, two blue-black for a 2-3 Vidalcan Ninja, Ninjutsu for black-blue, and whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. That's a pretty powerful ninja tribal reward. And of course, all these go in Yuriko, don't go anywhere else. Let's move on to the next card. Ooh, the next one is fun, I think. So the next card is Tribute Mage. It's two and a blue for a 2-2 human wizard creature. And it has a triggered ability that reads, when Tribute Mage enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost two, reveal that card, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So this is another member of the Trinket Mage cycle. Mm -hmm. So we now have Trinket Mages that tutor up zero, one, two, three, and six and more. Correct. So we're missing CMC4 and CMC5. You can probably figure out what words they are going to use when they... Yeah, I I heard someone speculated Trash Mage. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this guy, I guess. Do you think this is a niche card? No, I think this is actually a very versatile card. Like, there are so many good CMC2 artifacts. Like, any of your blue decks, if you just look at the list, it's probably already running several CMC2 artifacts. Mm-hmm. Staples such as Lightning Greaves, um, Grim Monolith, maybe Winter Orb. Scroll Rack. Scroll Rack. There's Null Rod. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even then, there's also, like, niche stuff. So if you're trying to do more specific things there you there's even better options like if you're running brago and this seems so good in brago i mean it's good everywhere but it can get like grim monolith then brago blinks it and then you get strionic resonator and then it it gets both halves of the combo Mm -hmm. and so you just get infinite blinks infinite colorless mana that's nasty if you're in a tribal deck maybe you're running wizard tribal maybe you're running human tribal you can get your conda's banner what other card do you wish you could fetch with this card I wish you could get Painter's Servant. Mm. One day you will be able to get Painter's Servant. I am certain of it. This seems like a powerful card. I, I definitely think it goes into many, many decks. It's not going to be as ubiquitous as Trinket Mage because Soul Ring and Mana Crypt are still in a class above everything else. Right. But it gets a lot of great cards. Mm-hmm. So would you say after Trinket Mage, this is the best of them? Like yeah. It's number two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like Treasure Mage that much. That's the one that fetches six or more? Yeah. I don't like Treasure Mage that much. And while Trophy Mage is nice, um, it's still pretty limited in what it can get. Yeah. Like in terms of crazy three CMC artifacts, yeah, it's cool. You can get Rings of Bright Hearth and Basalt Monolith, but there's not that many insane options. Whereas two, there's still some gems. Yeah. Dead of Winter is two and a black for a sorcery. All non-snow creatures get minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snow permanents you control. As we've been saying, there are not a lot of cards that are incidentally snow, so this is likely going to be limited to the number of basics you can fit into your deck. It works great in monocolor. You can make it work decently in two color, but I would not run it in three or more colors. So if you were to build a mono-black control list... After Modern Horizons, there is really no good reason not to run 
snow-covered swamps, right? I completely agree. You should run snow-covered swamps, play Dead of Winter, play Mutilate, play... Damnation. Damnation. Crux of Fate. Those are all pretty solid. Toxic Deluge. Yeah, I was going to say the one that you have to pay life for it. Toxic <laughs> Deluge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We're getting close to... A critical mass. A critical mass of good black sweepers. I know. It's, it's great. It's a shame that it's taken so many years when white's been like twiddle and thumb on yep. on 10 solid ones forever but this is very exciting and well to be fair black has always had tutors so it hasn't really needed a critical mass that's true of anything it's almost better to have fewer of them in your deck because if you're spending more sorry i'm just gonna get into color pie balance for a sec if you spend a bunch of deck slots on tutors and then only have a couple copies of the effects you need like you're likely to draw a tutor and then you just have more deck slots to work with as opposed to running many, many, many wraths. And that's one of the reasons that white sucks is because it doesn't have tutors, so it has to run a critical mass of every effect it wants to see every game. Yeah. Okay. On so. the other hand, this card is likely going to be a lot cheaper than your Vampiric Tutors and Demonic Tutors. Definitely. So if you're a budget player, <laughs> you can play this instead, right? No, it's, it's still very good. I think... I mean, the fact that it's three mana as opposed to the, the five for Crux of Fate or the four for Mutilate. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not as good as Damnation, but it's in a mono black deck. It's got to be, what, top three? I think so, yeah. I, I actually really like these black sweepers that aren't technically sweepers because mm-hmm. really big stuff can survive them, right? Yeah. So Mutilate, Dead of Winter, Toxic Deluge. You could build your deck to try to break that symmetry, right? Mm-hmm. It's surprising because it's not something you'd expect, but there are a lot of good mono-black commanders that happen to have unusually large toughness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of Sidisi Undead Vizier. Like, six is a decent amount of toughness. You could easily engineer it so that your Dead of Winter leaves your commander untouched. Also, Erebos, God of the Dead. Even if you've got enough devotion that he's alive, like, seven toughness is going to survive a lot of minus X, minus X effects. Yeah. Also destroys random indestructible nonsense. I like that too. That's solid. Okay, moving on to another changeling. This is Graveshifter. Three in the black for a 2-2 shapeshifter. It's got changeling. And when it enters the battlefield, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So this is just a changeling gravedigger. Exactly. And the art is a very nice callback to the original gravedigger art. I like this a lot. The decks that are most interested in changelings usually prefer cheaper changelings, but I think that sort of like the regular cohort, the extra creature promised by this card makes it worthwhile. The fact that it can also get back like a one or two CMC changeling, that's another Vindicate for your <laughs> Reaper King <laughs> I was just going to say, a Gravedigger with a Vindicate staple onto it is pretty good. Yeah. Especially yeah. when it sets up another Vindicate. Yeah, oh man, I, I can't wait till we get to the end of the episode and I get to just dunk on Reaper King for 15 minutes. All right, next up is, I like this card a lot. This is the first of the red cards this week. Shenanigans, good card name. Surprised, haven't used that before. Yeah, sorry, before we get into this, I just want to say the red cards this week were insane. Red cards this week were yeah. so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so stoked, <laughs> but sorry, I'll let you get back to reading it. All right, Shenanigans is one and a red for a sorcery. That reads, destroy target artifact. And the reason we're so excited about this card is that it has a Dredge 1. And for those of you who may not remember Dredge, Dredge says that if you would draw a card, 
Instead, you may put exactly one card from the top of your library into your graveyard. And if you do, you can return this card from your graveyard to your hand. You can trade your normal card draw for this card. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about shenanigans? You know, it's one of those weird cards that are very exciting, but they're also very unexciting. Like, mm -hmm. It's just a sorcery speed shatter that you can cast sort of as many times as you want. But that's still very good. Like, And it's an effect that Red maybe has been wanting for quite some time. I would say it's a new Red staple. Yeah, no, I agree. The dredge is so interesting and so strong. In my red decks, I run a lot of the like rummaging spells. So I run like Tormenting Voice, Cathartic Reunion, Faithless Looting, Wild Guess, all those things. And I love that in the early game, when I'm still trying to smooth out my hand, like if I'm mana screwed in the early game, you can just discard shenanigans, not worry about it, but it'll always be there when you need it. So you can late game replace a draw with it and kill a Paradox Engine or something. So how would you rank this next to Vandal Blast and Shattering Spree and by Force? It may be something that's meta-dependent. This is obviously worse in a metagame with a lot of graveyard hate, and it's better in a metagame with a lot of counterspells. It's kind of a shame if you invest a lot of mana in your Vandal Blast or your by Force, that one counterspell stops it. But both this and Shattering Spree are relatively resilient to mm -hmm. counterspells. Because if somebody's trading counterspells one for one with your Dredge 1 card, they are really on the losing end of that exchange. You could easily say it's top five for this effect. And of course, in Commander, redundancy is good. Good job, Watsy. Speaking of good job, Watsy, let me read this one. Tectonic Reformation, one in a red for an enchantment. Each land in your hand has cycling red, and Tectonic Reformation itself has cycling too. Wow. Speaking of instant staples, yeah, I, most red decks would want to play this, right? Yeah. You don't even need a Cycling Matters deck mm -hmm. for this to be very, very good. I, I completely agree. There are some games where this will win you the game easily. And you can easily point to this as like, that is the card that won me the game. When you would normally be flooding out, that's when this is going to save you. Even in the games where you're not flooding out, like, or you're screwed or whatever, then it itself has cycling. Like the opportunity cost of running this card is so, so low. Right. Like, I think this would have been very good even if the card itself did not have cycling. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it also itself cycles, is just it's just free running this. I, I totally agree with you. I think most red decks do run this card. It is worth noting that there are some strategies and some cards that it has a lot of really, really good synergies with. So if you happen to be running any sort of land synergies like Crucible of Worlds, Life from the Loam, Ramanop Excavator, but especially Life from the Loam. Renan 6. <laughs> Renan 6, sure. Splendid Reclamation. Splendid Reclamation. I'm going to discard my entire handful of lands, draw that many cards, get all those lands back onto the battlefield, ramping me. Disgusting. So good. Rings of Bright Hearth. You can just copy every single one of those cycling activations, draw an extra card. Dakmore Salvage. If your goal is just to mill yourself out, you can just pay red and mill yourself too. There's many, many more that we're not even going to touch on. But if you're running any red deck, you should probably run this. Best red card in the set by a mile? By a mile. So this card is called Throws of Chaos. It's three and a red for a sorcery. And it has two words on it. Cascade and Retrace. It has no other rules text. 
which is really quite fascinating. I think this card is very clever, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the guy who designed it thought he was very clever too. Actually, they mentioned the design story in one of the articles. Gavin Verhe. He designed this card for three and a red sorcery, those two words, and he felt so smart. <laughs> and then he like went to turn it in, and he found out that someone else had designed the exact same card. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's a good story. So yeah, wh- why, why are we excited about this card? Like, like If you cast this on turn four from your hand, you're, you're not doing very well, are you? No. Right? No. No, I, I, I agree. Like If you have nothing better to do than... Man, I'm so upset with these seven cards that I'm just going to shoot for some random card out of my deck. That's not a great situation. But where this card really shines is in the long game. It's really similar in a lot of ways to Tectonic Reformation in that it's a great tool. If you get mana flooded, if you are out of gas and you just need to hit something, then this is another engine that to exchange those lands that you don't want for spells. Right. You're going to overpay slightly for your random 3-2-1 drop, Mm -hmm. but you're still getting a spell instead of a useless land. On the other hand, if you have Throws of Chaos in your graveyard and you have Tectonic Reformation on the battlefield Mm -hmm. and you draw a mountain, what do you do? That's real tough. Asking the real questions. I I know. That's that's You can get back to me on that. I'll think about it. Okay. But yeah, no, I think it's great. The premium of one red mana is totally fine if you think of it sort of as you're paying one to two mana to discard a land and draw a card and that's pretty close to tectonic reformation really Mm -hmm. they're weirdly similar cards yeah actually when you think about it it is very strange that they're both in the same set but because commander is a format of redundancy i'm not going to complain about it i think it's awesome that you can just have these two floating in your deck protecting you against getting mana flooded like the state of red before they started printing all these rummaging variants, mm-hmm. before they got wild gas and tormenting voice or whatever, was so bad. You were like where white is now, where you were just at the mercy of your top deck and had no way to control your future at all. But now we've got close to a critical mass of just those cheap spells, and we've got throws of chaos and tectonic reformation. Like now playing a mono red deck, I feel protected. Right. I can't wait to go turn one faithless looting discard throws of chaos discard shenanigans and just like lean back i'm done <laughs> oh it's gonna be good so the next card is collector oof it's one and a green for a two two creature oof and it says activated abilities of artifacts cannot be activated so it's grizzly bears with null rod staple to it in your mono green deck would you rather run null rod or collector oof and why i would I think I would run the Collector Oof because I could easily tutor for it. Mm-hmm. Green has a lot of good tutoring spells that you're likely already running in your green decks. I definitely agree. I think that one of Green's strengths is just the fact that you have 10 tutors, and these days you can get any effect you want stapled mm-hmm. to a creature. I was actually surprised that this was not a card already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like a, a hate bear that would exist right. in like white or something. Mm-hmm. White has stony silence instead. Mm, but also, but white also has zero ways to tutor out the stony silence. Well, you could. What's the white instant tutor? So you've got top of your library. Well, okay. Let me let me clarify that. Enlightened you, tutor. White has two ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, white has enlightened tutor. It has idyllic tutor. If you really want to stretch, you can start talking about plea for guidance or academy rector or whatever. But realistically, like no frills, easy ways to find stuff. It's sure. got it's got two. And that's 
in a you know hundred card singleton format, that's not enough to like find anything consistently. Whereas green has just this huge advantage of like I've got Sylvan Tutor and Worldly Tutor and Fauna Shaman and Survival Fittest and this podcast is already running long and I'm not out of time <laughs> yeah. to list out all the green cards yeah. that search for creatures efficiently. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool card. It's a good card. It's nice that we have another Nalrod effect in another color. Mm-hmm. Since you know Nalrod is on the reserve list, yeah. so we're not getting more of those. <laughs> it's nice to have an option that you can search out early game, like when the mana rocks are most likely to kill you. Because mm-hmm. there are going to be times when, like, well, Bane of Progress will definitely save me five turns from now. But that might not be fast enough. All right, another green card. It is uh, Lanoir Tribe. Green, green, green for a 3-3 Elf Druid. And it taps for green, green, green. This card is fun. I would say it's fun. Like, it's it's a it's a neat idea they had. Mm-hmm. And I hope they go back to this well <laughs> later at some point in Magic. Like, taking an existing creature and just putting three of them on a card. I think I would play this in my mono-green Elf deck. I would... Maybe played in my Galta deck if I had one. It seems fine there. I definitely like it in Galta because, like, if you play this on like turn three and you play a, like a one-one mana dork at some point in the first couple turns, then on turn four you're gonna have four lands, you're gonna have four power worth of creatures, and you're gonna have four mana produced from your creatures, and that's Galta, baby. That's gonna get you there. I have like one slightly more obscure use. Oh yeah, do tell. Yeah. Okay. Mana neutral creatures are really interesting. And for a while I've been thinking about this. Um, I have a um, Samut, the creature version list. So she's three red green for a three four flash. Oh, she's the key word soup. Double Samut. strike. She can pay white and tap to untap another target creature. And most importantly, she gives all your other creatures haste. I've got a list that is running Samut solely for the haste granting because if you've got a bunch of like Lanoir Elves or Lanoir Tribe and zero mana creatures and creatures and like Wild Canter, every creature in the deck is essentially free if it has haste. Mm -hmm. And then you just run stuff like Guardian Project and Beast Whisperer and all those cast a creature, draw a card stuff, and you just... That sounds like my kind of deck. Yeah. I like it. It's real sweet. You just run through your entire deck. So Lanoir Tribe is an easy addition to that mm-hmm. list because it ramps out your commander and it's a combo piece when you're going on. Pays for itself. Yep. yep. All right. Next up is Treefolk Umbra. Two and a green for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus zero, plus two, and assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And it also has totem armor. So if the enchanted creature would be destroyed, instead remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. So it turns your dude into Doran the Siege Tower. There were like only two or three commanders I could think of that might potentially be interested in this. And only one that can really use it well. So Gorm the Great is a partner commander from Battlebond. He's three and a green for a 2-7 Vigilance. And he's got some other text, whatever. But that's a pretty solid toughness to cost ratio. And if you throw the Treefolk Umbra on him, then he beats in for nine. He's got Vigilance. He's got Totem Armor, so it's hard to kill him. That's a pretty solid Voltron threat. You just need to give him some sort of evasion at that point, and then you're kind of off to the races. There's also Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus. They were one of the face commanders in Commander 2016. So it's every color but black, four color. 
for a 2-8 that has some lame group hug ability, but it's a 2-8 for 4. So you throw this on it, you're swinging for 10. It's a 2-8 for 4? It's a 2-8 for 4, yeah. I know, aggressive rate. Kineos and Tiro, they're the ones who I think can potentially use this best because if you're doing like weird toughness-based Voltron, then you need to have a whole bunch of effects that give you the toughness-based beating. And Kineos and Tiro, in addition to this Treefolk Umbra, also have access to Assault Formation and High Alert and Arcades the Strategist and the Uncommon Watley from War of the Spark. Oh, yeah. So you could actually uh, you could make it happen with Kineos and Tiro. Gorm the Great, going to be a little bit harder. There's also Ikra Shiriki. Her rate is not as good. It's only 7 toughness for 5 mana. But she also rewards you for high toughness stuff because like she has menace and whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you gain life equal to its toughness. So she's likely to have some other toughness rewarding abilities built in there. It's a more of a natural fit. Anyway, a couple uses for that common. Yeah, still a pretty niche card, right? Definitely. Definitely. Right, next up we have two spiders. So the first spider is Twin Silk Spider. It's two and a green for a one-two spider. It has reach, and when Twin Silk Spider enters the battlefield, create a one-two green spider creature token with reach. So you get two one-two spiders with reach. For three mana. For three mana. I guess that's fine if you want spiders. And the second spider is Rot Widow Pack. It's two black green for a 2-4 spider. It also has reach and it has an activated ability that reads pay three black green and exile a creature card from your graveyard to create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach. Then each opponent loses one life for each spider you control. Ooh. That's actually quite exciting. Mm-hmm. So there is a spider tribal commander. It is called Morophon the Boundless. But before that, there was Ishkana the Graph Widow. She uh, makes a bunch of spiders when she enters the battlefield if you have Delirium, which means at least four different card types in your graveyard. And then she has an activated ability, six and a black. Each opponent loses one life for each spider you control. These spiders are much better than a lot of the existing spiders being run in Ishkana. The problem with Ishkana, they made this tribal commander for a tribe that didn't actually have enough commander playable members. You're just forced to run a lot of really bad cards. A lot of changelings. (laughs) Or changelings, true. The great thing about these two cards is that you get to replace some of the worst spiders with two pretty decent spiders. Ishkana Graph Widow is actually only target opponent. It's not each opponent. Mm. So this Rot Widow pack, the activation is kind of an upgrade. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They should have made that a legendary creature, perhaps. I know, right? Would you say, though, that the spider deck... It's still not very good. It's still not very good. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think they shouldn't be wasting card slots designing tribal commanders for tribes that are just never going to be good. You know what? I've got to push this off. i got to push this off. I, I said we were going to hold it for the end. I've got a lot to say about tribal commanders, but we got to get through this damn review. Okay. Winding Way. One in a green for a sorcery. Choose creature or land. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. I know a guy who likes this card. Oh, yeah? Who is that? Hogak. Hogak. Arisen Necropolis. <laughs> I agree. This is another Grizzly Salvage variant, so it fits perfectly into that deck. Solid but unexciting. The well, next card is Kaya's Guile. So we are now in the multicolored section. Kaya's Guile is 
one white black for an instant. It's a modal spell with four different modes, and you get to choose two of them. Mm -hmm. The first mode is each opponent sacrifices a creature. Not too shabby. The second mode is exile all cards from each opponent's graveyard. Mm -hmm. The third mode is create a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying. And the fourth mode is you gain four life. And it has entwine for three generic mana. So if you pay the entwine cost, you get to choose all modes when you cast this spell. However, <laughs> how often are you likely to do, to do that, you think? I would say only if I was severely mana flooded. If I had infinite mana, I would pay the entwine cost because two of these modes are much better than the other two modes. Mm -hmm. I like the first two a lot more than the last two. I don't know if I want to play this card. You think it's not strong and or versatile enough to be good in your generic white black deck? I'm just very reluctant to rely on sacrifice removal in my spot removal slot. Sure. Because if I want to kill something, I want to make sure that I am getting the thing. If they have like two goblin tokens stopping me from hitting their kiki-jiki mm -hmm. or their zealous conscripts, I, I don't want to lose because of that. So would you rather the first mode was just Doomblade? Heck yeah. I would definitely run that card. Then it would be a lot better. Okay. Yeah, I would. Because I was thinking about that too, and I wasn't. I, I was like, I guess. But on the other hand, making everyone sack a creature the it thing could is be strong too, but it's less reliably strong i imagine i would say that with spot removal i'm less concerned about getting value the mode on this card is definitely more value than the card we proposed but with spot removal i just don't want to die to a combo the slots i'm devoting to spot removal that's what they're there for mm -hmm. the reason i would be so excited about like doomblade and these other modes is I really, really like it when Graveyard Hate is just a rider on something else I'm cool yeah. with doing. There are precious few cards that are like that, right? Yeah, like, but I, they're really there's good. There's Bajuka Bog. What else? There's Nihil Spellbomb. Oh, yeah, the Spellbomb. That's right. Yeah. Because it just draws you a card when you use it. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't really cost you a card to use it. And so it's a shame that they came so close to... I think I would call that a format staple. If it was murder and exile cards from a piece mm -hmm. of bones graveyard for three mana instant. And those those three cards we mentioned, they're all black, right? Is this a black effect? Mostly, yes. There, There is, of course, like rest in peace to point to as a counterexample sure. or like ground seal mm -hmm. but exiling stuff from graveyards has been like most consistently part of black's color pie i would like to see more colorless options i, th I think that like relic of progenitus was close but they just goofed it on the fact that it was symmetrical right they should print more cards like that with time i'm sure we'll see them okay reap the past x red green for sorcery Return X cards at random from your graveyard to your hand. Exile, reap the past. I think this card is narrower than it looks. Because it's at random, you have to pump a ton of mana into it. Like, it's not good until, like, the late game when you've got a stacked graveyard. And then if you've got a stacked graveyard, you need to pump a ton of mana into it mm -hmm. to make it good. And the thing is, there's, like, more efficient ways to get back a ton of cards from your graveyard. Like... Seasons Past is, like, surprisingly really powerful. There's, of course, Praetor's Council. There's Creeping Renaissance. There's a lot of solid options for just getting stuff back from your graveyard. And most of them, like, you know for sure you're getting back what you want and at a reasonable price. Yep. That being said, there are a couple decks that I think could be more interested in this. 
So just at the base rate of X mana for X cards at random, I don't like that. But if you can double that rate, make it so you get like XX cards for X mana, then we're talking. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like Riku of Two Reflections. If you copy it with him, get two times X cards back. That seems pretty solid. Or like uh, Wart the Raid Mother. She can copy it with her Conspire ability. Roshin Meanderer. Because it has X in its cost, you can use that four colorless mana to pump into it. What about the card from last week? The green mythic doubles the value of X. Does it double X in a sorcery? Yes. It does. Okay. It does. So actually, when we uh, talked about that card, two of the like three decks that I thought it would be good in are Wart the Raid Mother and Rushing Meander. All right, then. So I think that, hey, that also aligns pretty well. You fit it into those same decks. The next card is Soul Herder. One white blue for a 1-1 creature spirit. And whenever a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Soul Herder. At the beginning of your end step, you may exile another target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. It's a fun card. Yeah, I mean, this is significantly cheaper than Conjurer's Closet. Mm -hmm. And it's in the color identity that is like most associated with blink decks. So I think it could be pretty good. It's great that it gives you value the turn it comes down. Like, I'm so reluctant to invest in creatures that need to untap to be good, but the fact that it's pretty likely that you will get the first trigger makes me more willing to invest mana in this. And it is only three mana. It's really cheap. Yeah. So it can only exile your own creatures. Correct. But the triggered ability that grows it counts your opponent's creatures getting exiled too. Oh, that's easy, interesting. Easy to miss. Hmm. Will likely not come up that much, but don't miss your triggers, kids. All right. Good to know. We've got another blue-white card coming up. This is Unsettled Mariner. Blue and white for a 2-2 shapeshifter with changeling. And it has... Whenever you or a permanent you control become the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. Well, it's, it's <clears throat> got Changeling. It's got Changeling, and that means... Reaper King. Reaper King, okay. But in addition to Reaper King, there are a couple other uses for it. Someone pointed out that it could be good in Najila, and I agree. I've played Najila before, and she is all about her two-mana warriors. Like, that's really important just to have a guy on turn two so that when you cast her on turn three, immediately get an attacking warrior. And the fact that its ability is not a blank, it offers some measure of protection against spot removal for Najila. That's also pretty important. There's also a third use that I think is pretty sweet. If you were listening last week to the first part of this set review, you may remember the Morophon human combo list Mm -hmm. that I mentioned. And this card ticks a lot of boxes that that list cares about. In addition to being a human, its mana cost is reduced to zero by Morophon because it's only colored mana. No generic mana, yep. It's a wizard for a zombie. It's a blue creature for dire undercurrents. It has two power, which means that with Morophon's buff, it'll trigger your Elemental Bond and Garak's Pack Leader. So it sounds like it's quite the role player in that deck. Yes, exactly. 
Is this just a thought exercise for you, or have you actually assembled the deck? Oh, I am so not going to build that deck. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to build Morophon, I'm going to do something slightly yeah. more interesting with it. It was definitely a thought exercise to mm -hmm. see like what the best thing to do with Morophon are, because there are, are ostensibly hundreds of options. Right. I think that's fine. This is commander theory, after all. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell people about like sort of the most interesting things they can do, and then I'll probably do something else. Sure. <laughs> so now we're moving on to the artifacts. Mm -hmm. And the first one is Birthing Bows. Mm -hmm. It's three generic mana for an artifact. And it has a single activated ability that reads, pay four generic mana and tap it to create a 2-2 colorless shapeshifter creature token with Changeling. This card was really difficult to evaluate, I gotta say. This entire set review, I've been talking about how good Changelings are. This is like the dividing line. This is like Wizards was trying to figure out how bad a changeling could be and still have it like see play in all these dumb yeah. tribal decks. Your first 2-2 changeling sets you back 7 mana. Yeah. That is pretty steep. That's really rough. But some of those rewards are just so good. Reaper King, <laughs> doubling season. And the fact that like it's instant speed with Reaper King. Like yep. you got your instant speed vindicate with a 3-3 attached. So you said it's hard to evaluate. So are you, what do you think? Is it good enough for certain tribal decks? It's or? so hard. Okay. I think it's bad. I think it's not good enough. If they were going to pump power into anything in this set, I would have hoped it to be the changeling token generation. Right. Could they have shaved a mana off the activation cost or the casting cost? I think if they had shaved a mana off of both, it still wouldn't see play in like the fair tribal decks or like the tribal decks that are designed around the characteristics of the tribe right krenko wouldn't be pumping out two two exactly changeling goblins krenko wouldn't care like inala wouldn't care varina wouldn't care like there's a lot of tribal decks that wouldn't care mm -hmm. but it would do a lot to help the fringe tribes and also just because like there's a lot of tribes out there that just don't have a lot of members and going like two cost three tap make a member every turn that's that's pretty decent if if your goal is just to make this work no matter how good it is or bad it is and then it would just also have a lot of legs in the tribal decks that just care about changelings mm -hmm. but they goofed it they goofed it all right, we got five artifacts here. Yep, they've finished the second half of the talisman cycle. Mm -hmm. So we now have enemy color talismans. So these are two mana artifacts that tap for a colorless mana, or they tap for either, for instance, red or white, mm -hmm. and they deal one damage to you. So there's a white red one, there's a blue red one, there's a green blue one, there's a white black one, and there's a black green one. When did we get the original cycle of these? That was a long time ago. Mirrodin. Mirrodin. Yeah. 2003? I think that's right. Wow. Yeah, they took their time. They could have spent a little more time on the art. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the art is okay. I think it's interesting that one of them has a chessboard. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first depiction of chess. I know. I, th I thought that was interesting, too. In the multiverse. Too. So anyway, when should we play these cards? The green ones are automatically much less good probably bad because green already has access to much better ramping and color fixing exactly and, and like artifact based mana is just so much worse than land based mana because everyone is happy to run their vandal blast or their cleansing nova or their bane of progress whatever but, but if you cast armageddon everyone loses their mind exactly 
So green ones automatically bad. The other ones, yeah, sure, yeah. It's, I like the I like them. I've never actually put a talisman in any of my decks, so mm. I don't have any experience playing with them. My thought went to comparing them to the signets. Mm-hmm. So when would you play the signet and when would you play the talisman, or would you usually just play both? If you were in the market for a two mana rock, like if let's say you've got a four mana commander or something, then I would probably play both. If I only had room for one, I would probably do Signet over them just because it gets you more colored mana. It's just like a little bit better for fixing. Right, that's true. But there are some situations where I would want to run a Talisman over a Signet. If I had colorless mana costs in my deck, if I have like an Eldrazi Displacer, then I'm much more likely to want to run a Signet because it's a good way of just sneaking colorless mana production into your deck. Good point. The next card is fun. I was wondering, as the spoilers were trickling out, if they would print this card, and mm-hmm. they did. So the uh, next card I'm is stoked. Universal Automaton. It's a single generic mana for a 1-1 artifact creature shapeshifter that has Changeling. So I guess it's officially the cheapest Vindicate for your Reaper King deck. Yes, it, it absolutely is. I'd say this is by far the best changeling. Every, every single changeling we've discussed so far, it's limited by its color identity and what decks it can go in. And because like the distribution of powerful tribal effects is not even, and it's sort of concentrated in a couple colors. So like a white changeling is generally not as good as like a black changeling just because black has admiral beckett brass and yuriko and reaper king kogan the storm's fury kogan the storm's fury is three black red for a however big flying dragon she's got dash that's not important what's important is she has whenever a dragon you control attacks each attacking creature gets plus one plus oh until end of turn so it's a shared animosity for dragons and of course, like because she casts five, what you really want to be doing is casting dragons on turns one through four, so that as soon as you cast her, maybe even dash her out, you've got lethal force. I'm in for 25 or something. But unfortunately, dragons as a creature type are not especially cheap. So of course, like the changelings are much better. They tend to skew high the dragons, yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the decks that can really effectively use changelings and universal tomton. Sweet. Yeah, I was thinking about the um, the blue Sphinx Commander that he he, mm-hmm. he has like the mini factor fiction trigger yeah. when a tribe member enters the battlefield. Unesh. This seems pretty good there. I thought we were never going to get a better Sphinx for Unesh than Moth Dust Changeling. Right. But Universal Automaton costs zero and gives you a mini factor fiction. So wow. Mm-hmm. Can't can't beat that. Can't beat that. <laughs> okay, we're almost done. Yeah, we we are now in the lands section. So the next card is Hole of Heliod's Generosity. It's a legendary land that can tap for a colorless mana. And it also has an activated ability that reads, pay one generic mana and one white mana and tap. Put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your life. That ability seems familiar. Hmm, reminds me of Academy Ruins. Volrath Stronghold? Mm Mm-hmm. They're taking their sweet time with these cycles. (laughs) Yeah. I think Volrath Stronghold was... Well, it was in Stronghold, it, yeah. which was in, like, 98. Ooh, man, don't ask me what year. I'm not sure. But, yeah, very, very long time Academy ago. Academy Ruins, Time Spiral, 2005, six. See, we've been waiting yeah. <laughs> a Quite long a time, a long yeah. time. This card is super great, super exciting. I'm waffling on how widely applicable it is because, on the one hand, you know, it says enchantment on there. You're going to need to be running a bunch of enchantments. But the thing is... 
because it's a land, there are a lot, lot, lot of ways to tutor it out if you're mm-hmm. in a green deck. So like once you've got crop rotation, your Sylvan Scrying, your Expedition map, there's more that I'm missing. There's a lot of ways to tutor this out. Weathered Wayfarer. Weathered Wayfarer, definitely. They didn't check if there's actually a critical mass so that you feed it into the hypergeometric calculator, see how likely you are to like get the thing you're looking for every single game. But I have a feeling it's high. There might be enough of these effects that you could expect to find a way to find Hall of Heliod's generosity every single game. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then you really can build around it in any deck. And you can just pump whatever deck full of good stuff enchantments that, say, like, sacrifice themselves. So, like, Pernicious Deed, Aura of Silence, Seal of Doom, Seal of Primordium, Seal of Cleansing. There's still, like, a lot of enchantments that sacrifice themselves and give you something that is just useful if you want to really get crazy there's second chance which it's two and a blue for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep if you've got five or less life then you can sacrifice it and if you do you take an extra turn after this one i guess that right there is the mind slaver for mm-hmm. this card that is the the lock that you got to try to set up so you're running Zer, right Oh, it's going to be tricky for Xur to find this. Because Xur is not green. Right. But Xur gets second chance, and Xur also gets like Necropotence, so you can pay all the way down to the range. If you're getting the Necropotence, and you're planning on paying a ton of life anyway, then your odds of finding the Hall of Heliod's generosity are way higher. Like, if you're paying 30-something life to this, you may not hit the Hall, but you'll probably hit the Weathered Wayfarer. If you're drawing a third of your library, you're likely to find it, yeah. All right, all right, we got something. (laughs) That's an idea. It's a work in progress. Yeah, work in progress. All right, other things you can do. I'm going to go from, like, easiest to pull off to hardest to pull off. Enchantments that sack themselves, easy, no problem. There's also some decently powerful enchantment creatures. So I'm thinking the ones with good constellation triggers, like Thought Render Lamia. So it's a six drop with constellation. Each opponent discards a card. I've played that in an enchantment deck before. I mean, six mana is a lot. But this can empty hands really fast. If they manage to kill it, which, you know, that happens, then you can always just get it back and annihilate their hands again. Um, There's also Doomwake Giant, which is four and a black for a four six, I think. Constellation, all creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one. So one trigger, all the mana dorks are dead. Two triggers, all the utility creatures are dead. Three triggers, it's getting towards like most things are dead. Using that to just annihilate your opponent's board, and then if they remove it, having like, what? <laughs> Guess what's coming next turn? Eidolon of Blossoms. That's a really good draw engine that happens to be an enchantment. Even just like must answer enchantments are pretty great with this, because like a Rhystic Study or an Aura Shards or are things that you kind of just have to deal with, or they're going to bury you in mm-hmm. card advantage. And being able to get them back seems pretty solid. Yeah, you can do a lot with this card. Finally, I think it's fun to speculate, though. Let's say in 2031, when they give us another card in the cycle. <laughs> let's say we get a green, the green land in the cycle. Mm-hmm. What do you think that would do? They're all probably going to be card types. Because they've already used up creature and enchantment, which are the other two card types that green is associated with, that leaves lands. So green is probably going to put lands on top. Mm-hmm. And That seems like a fine card right honestly i feel like that card could go through a standard legal set that seems way weaker than the three we've seen so far Mm -hmm. 
So with the green one, in a land deck, I think it's totally fine. Some amount of time, you're going to be happy to draw a fetch land over anything else because mm -hmm. you've just got good landfall triggers or like reusing your utility lands like strip mine. Sometimes you want to draw strip mine every turn. So that seems probably worth doing it. So I thought it would be fun to talk about the, the red card in the cycle, mm -hmm. the potential red card. And I think while the green one is obvious, the red one is a little harder to design Definitely. In, a, in a balanced way. I, I agree. Because what, what card types remain and which ones could you potentially use for a red card? Uh, well, let's see. There's Tribal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Planeswalker, and then you've got Instant and Sorcery. Correct. Those all have some issues. So why won't Tribal work? It's no longer supported. I mean, it's still, like, in the rules. Ooh, but... Has Tribal been, like, decommissioned? Yes, yeah. I no, didn't know that. I think the last one was All Is Dust. And then they decided, mm. like, oh, it doesn't actually make sense to ever make these because, yeah, we can make cards that are flavored towards a particular creature type at any time. Let's look at Urge to Feed in World Wake. Urge to Feed is clearly associated with vampires. There's also Feast of Blood, which I mm -hmm. think was in Zendikar. Clearly flavored uh, towards the vampires. So do you make that a tribal card? It's flavored towards the vampire. Does it that automatically make it tribal? So let's say no. Let's say you don't. Then when the hell do you make a tribal card? And then you like look at the other side. Yeah, of course you make it a tribal card. It's flavored towards a particular creature type. It only benefits this particular creature type. Then is it worth it to have this word tribal on your card in a limited set where it has no meaning at all? Right. Like Timmy's going to open this pack and see if Feast of Blood, Tribal Sorcery, Vampire, and have so many questions and the set will have zero answers for him. So I think that was kind of their dilemma. And at first they were like, well, we'll do it like when it's super flavorful or thematic. So like that's how we got all this dust and Skittering Invasion and Eldrazi Conscription. Yeah. No, that all of those points I think make sense. Yeah. It was always weird to me that Tribal was a card type mm -hmm. and not a super type. It should have been a super type. There, there are probably good rules reasons for that. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> no. I don't pretend to know Do anything no. about the rules yeah. or about any formats other than Commander. Okay. <laughs> so Tribal, probably not going to happen because mm -hmm. they are not making these anymore. It's also extremely weird to reward you for Tribal. Like Tribal is literally just glue. The rules did not support making an enchantment with a creature type. The rules said specifically, creature types only go on creatures. So in order to get that creature type onto an enchantment, they made like this placeholder, this like devoid, this mm. like substance only exists to make this work the way we want it. So how do you like reward that? What is the flavor of like, whenever you cast a tribal spell, draw a card? Or, like, put a tribal card in your graveyard on top of your library. Well, what is a tribal? What What is this? Yeah, I think we can agree that's not going to happen. Yeah. And okay. for various reasons, Planeswalker is not going to happen either, yeah. right? Why would that be the red ability? So now you have instant and sorcery. If you were just going by precedent and, like, how it's defined in the mechanical color pie... By the way, if, if any of you have not read the Mechanical Color Pie 2017 article by Rosewater and you want to learn more about the color pie, it's an amazing resource, really useful. And if you dig down to return target sorcery from graveyard to hand, which we'll, we'll say that's a proxy for putting on top of library. I think that's fair, yeah. It's primary in red and secondary in blue. That would be the card type that would make most sense mechanically for red to put back on top of your library. The problem is there are a whole bunch of cards 
that are sorceries that say take an extra turn after this one. Yep. In which case it's instant combo, I win. You're already in blue-red, so you, mm-hmm. you, you can find them consistently, and then you just win the game with little fanfare. Mindslaver Academy Ruins currently exists, but I don't know if Wizards is psyched to create more situations like that. So that's like the problematic part of using sorceries for red, even though they make the most sense. So I guess that kind of leaves instance and returning instance from graveyard in hand, according to this mechanical color by article, is primary in blue, but it's secondary in red. So maybe that's like the balancing mechanisms they use because there's far fewer broken instants than broken sorceries. Okay. Whew. I think... All right, we're done with the set <laughs> review. That was the last card. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about tribal commanders, and then we're going to go into some like overall, what do we think of Modern Horizons, and some like listicle-type stuff, and then we'll be done. I'm setting my timer for three minutes. <laughs> oh, God. All right, all right. Lightning round. It's not great when they design tribal commanders that reward a tribe so heavily that changelings become the default best thing you could do and you just want the cheapest changelings possible it's also not great when they design tribal commanders around a creature type that doesn't have cards that are good like ayula queen of the bears or whatever so many of these bears are just like two mana tutus and i know that like bear force one has been like a meme for a long time but like a two mana tutu is not a good card in commander i think that what we should really be trying to focus on with tribal commander designs are tribes that have cards that people already want to play in commander cards that are like actually decent in commander that all happen to share a creature type and finding a way to make it worth your while to commit yourself to that creature type instead of the the best options from among the 600 existing creature types and i think the best way to do that in order to like avoid the changeling thing, the changeling problem is not just like generic rewards like plus one plus one or whatever. Like they all cost one less, et cetera, et cetera. I think you really want to make sure that you're designing around the mechanical through line. Like what is consistent about this tribe and especially about the best members of this tribe. What do they all like? What do they all do? So Reaper King, and he was designed before Commander was a format, so I can't give him too much guff but what he really should have been was like focused on the fact that hey all the members of my type are artifact creatures all the members of this tribe are colorless that's another interesting characteristic that is not true for most tribes and if you design based off of that you get a much much more satisfying tribal deck instead of like reaper king with mop dust changeling and imposter of the six pride and all that you get cool things like the bond dean of iteration the people at wizards noticed hey there's a lot of wizards with etb triggers wouldn't it be cool if we made a wizard commander that specifically rewarded that like as you're searching for the best mono blue wizards you're naturally going to find a lot of cards that work well into bond it's super satisfying to put that deck together Let's move on. Before we jump into like card-specific highlights, what do you think overall of Modern Horizons as a set for Commander? So I think of myself primarily as a 60-card, non-rotating format kind of guy. Like I like Legacy Modern, the occasional popper, and like Commander is sort of my secondary magic format. As a modern player, I'm honestly a little disappointed in this set. I thought there would be more... 
like slam dunk, wow, I want to make a modern deck around this card mm -hmm. type of card. And there are a few that are like, oh yeah, that goes in that deck, that goes in that deck. We got the Horizon Canopy land mm -hmm. cycle, which is sweet. But as a whole, I'm a little disappointed from a modern perspective. Uh, as a commander player, though, it's like Christmas. Mm -hmm. There are so many cool cards. There are sweet new commanders. Red got some exciting new tools. Mm -hmm. And as a just general fan of magic and a sucker for nostalgia, this set is awesome. Like, there are so many cute throwbacks mm. and extremely like, riffs rewarding. on old nostalgic cards. Jokes that you would only get if you, like, are really, really invested, like the coward stuff. Yeah. I can make my own time twister mm -hmm. and things. I, I just I just love that. So if the set wasn't called Modern Horizons, mm -hmm. it would be like an A-plus for me. I think it's great. They've, they've had some, some issues with their branding lately. Because, mm. like, Iconic Masters... <laughs> <laughs> That was definitely a big snafu on their part. Yeah, yeah. Just sinking the set by picking the wrong name. And I'm not sure I agree with the whole, let's make this a quote-unquote premium set and charge twice as much for it. I think the set would have been fine mm -hmm. at, like, the Battleborn regular price point. It's twice as much, but it's still, like, a huge improvement compared to, like, $10 pack prices. I would much... Yeah. Like, $7 a pack is what we were expected to pay for the very first Modern Masters, and I think everyone was, like, pretty okay with that price point. Oh, yeah, that's right. So That set had, like, so many expensive cards that they were reprinting. Hey, how much is Urza? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah, this set has, like, two Bomb Mythics and the Land Cycle. And yeah. then, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. I think it's an amazing set for yeah. Commander. Marketing aside, great set. Yeah. I don't play Modern, so I'm... Totally okay with this being surprised, like, way better than I had any reason to mm -hmm. expect. You know, I have my nitpicks, of course, but I think that it's just so many tools for so many different archetypes and colors and, like, just a lot of balancing. Like, I feel like green didn't really get that much. White got arguably the best commander card in the set one of the best for sure red got several really strong cards mm -hmm. blue got some good options black didn't really get anything either but it, it's great that it seemed like it was leaning towards the colors that were historically worse in commander so that's really cool yeah let's talk about predictions we have some predictions yeah so what new non-legendary cards in modern horizons will see the most play as determined by edh rec stats these are things that are like just generally useful, like efficient removal, things that'll increase your resources. The number 10 is Collector Oof. So that's the 2-2-for-2 two, two two green dude with the Null Rod ability. Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of powerful artifacts in this format, a lot of reliance on artifact mana. It's easily tutorable, and it's in one of the most popular colors. I think there's a decent chance it sees a fair amount of play. Yeah, I think that sums it up nicely. And number nine, we have the enemy color talismans. Mm -hmm. People like their mana rocks. You need mana rocks. These would be higher if there weren't already so many good options at CMC2 for mm -hmm. mana rocks. As we just said with Collector Roof, mana rocks are part of the format. And I think these are have a decent shot at seeing some play because they're pretty good ones. Yeah. Next, Next, we've got Dead of Winter. So this is the Mutilate, but for three mana and works off of snow permanence. As we mentioned earlier in the podcast... There is less than a critical mass of good, efficient black board wipes. This doesn't have a lot of competition, so it's pretty likely to see a decent amount of play, especially in like the format's many, many, many mono black lists. Number seven is Lanawar Tribe. 
So that's the triple Llanowar Elf card. We already covered this card in some detail, <laughs> I think. But, I mean, Elf decks are popular. People like Monogreen. People and it like is, Ramping. Certainly, it's like got to be one of the best ramp cards we've seen on in terms of like just the number of turns it gets you ahead yeah. early in the game going from three mana on turn three to seven mana on turn four is huge and it draws an easy comparison to somber Waltz sage mm-hmm. which i have been advocating for for many years and i think and this is just better in a mono green list yeah number six is force of negation do you want to talk a bit about this card? I feel like you got some opinions. <laughs> I play a lot of blue decks. I like Force of Will. I think this is a neat spin on the Force of Will concept. It's a little more fair, I guess, in the sense that you can't just stop anything at any time. Mm-hmm. You can only use it during your opponent's turns. It's only non-creatures spells. Mm-hmm. It seems like a blue staple to me. Mm-hmm. Like I guess I would place it below Force of Will, below Counterspell, below Mana Drain probably but it, but it's up there with the best counter spells for sure yeah i think the thing limiting this and part of the reason it's not higher on the list is just the fact that it is likely to have a price tag yeah. associated with it the modern control players are going to want this yeah and, that, and you'll notice that a little bit as we get into the top five cards but because we're assuming based on edh rec stats and edh rec stats are influenced by what people are actually playing Prices do tend to factor into what sees the most play when you're using that metric. Yeah. Thankfully, it's just a rare, though. Yeah. It did not get the mythic treatment. (laughs) That would have been rough. Thanks, Urza. (laughs) So number five is Archmage's Charm. It's the other rare counterspell from the set. This Mm -hmm. is the, the triple blue card. Correct. So it's the modal instant that says counter target spell or draw two cards or gain control of a non-land permanent with CMC1 or less. Mm-hmm. I like this card a lot. I mean, none of the modes are exciting on their own, but having access to a cancel when you need a cancel, instant speed draw to when you don't need a cancel, or occasionally just stealing someone's soul ring or stealing someone's one mana commander. I don't know. You can do a lot of fun things with this, I think. This would be in the bottom half, mm-hmm. I think, if we were just going based off of like pure power level sure, or like pure applicability across the format. Because this is like as played on EDA Trek, I think that more people are going to play this card maybe than should play this card. The way I see that this is a mono blue card, but other people might not see it that way. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's mono blue card. And also, I think that a lot of people are going to get enamored with that CMC one or less text Mm -hmm. because they're going to think about getting a soul ring and how awesome that's going to (laughs) feel and maybe not consider like, how likely that is to actually occur and Mm -hmm. how often this is just going to be a cancel with an even more difficult mana cost. Right. But in Mono Blue, I think even if the third mode wasn't there, I would still play this card. Mm -hmm. Having the option to either cancel or instant speed divination, I think is totally fine. I will defer to your expertise on that. (laughs) I don't play that much Mono Blue. Okay. Next up at number four, we have the Canopy Lands. Mm. So this is the, the cycle of lands that sack to draw a card tap pay one life and add one of two different colors yeah speaking of price these might end up pricey we'll see what the modern crowd thinks of these lands i think they will be very popular and depending on how much they actually print the set these might be 20 30 dollar cards i think that's totally realistic but money aside what do you think in terms of their power level how do they stack up to other cycles of dual lands oh i think they go in pretty much any deck 
I don't know about the four or five color decks because then maybe you're just maxing out your fetches, your duels, your shocks if so. you're really tuning your mana base. Yeah. But if you're playing three or less colors, I think you want to play all of these. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you. And I think that price is really the only thing that limits how much representation we see in mm -hmm. EDHREC. Do you have a guess for how many decks Horizon Canopy appears in? And to give you like just a sense of perspective, I'd say a format staple is in 10,000 or more decks. All right, I'm going to go with 1,500. Did I already tell you this? I don't think you did. If you did, I forgot, honestly. All right, it's in 1,685 wow, decks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty close. Yeah. Because it's been so expensive for yeah. so long, it doesn't matter how yeah. good it is. It's just not seeing much adoption. If this was printed at Uncommon, it would be like an order of magnitude more of these out oh, there. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are many worse cycles of lands that seem much more yeah. play. Number three. Prismatic Vista. Mm -hmm. So this is the fetch land. It comes into play untapped. Pay one life, tap sack it, get any basic land from your deck untapped. Mm -hmm. So we agree that this card is better than Evolving Wilds. Oh, yeah. I think I would say strictly better, yeah. even. Controversial term. Oh. <laughs> but what if you're at one life? Yeah. Evolving Wilds is in 77,000 decks on EDHREC. That must be like top five or something, right? I would be surprised if it wasn't in top. There are very few cards that see that much play. And remember, yeah. like a format staple I'd said was 10,000 or more decks. Terramorphic Expanse, which is essentially the same card, is 62,000 decks. These cards that are definitely worse than Vista see enormous amounts of play. Yeah. But they're also worth like five cents. Mm-hmm. If money were no object, I think Prismatic Vista would probably be one of the most played cards. Easily number one on this list, right? Yeah, for sure. But even like maybe within the last five yeah. years, ten years, yeah. the fact that it goes into so many decks is going to drive up the price. And the higher the price goes, the less adoption we're yeah. going to see. Thankfully, I think this card will probably only be desired by Commander players. I don't really think most modern decks, for instance, are looking to fetch basic lands. Yeah. Demand, I think, will mostly be Commander players, but there are a lot of yeah. <laughs> those players out there. Yeah, and it is fortunate that it's not very good in four or five color decks because, as you mentioned earlier, like those decks are going to be investing almost entirely in fetches and duels. Mm -hmm. And although I have built many monocolor decks that ran fetch lands, most people don't do that. No. So really, it's just a two- and three-color deck thing. Although, unfortunately, I think that two- and three-color decks are the majority of the format. Yeah. What if you had to guess on a price tag for this card? Let's say two months from release. Are we looking at 10 or 20 or 30 bucks for this? I think 20. 20, yeah. That would be my guess. But actually, you know, what I should have said was when someone asks you to predict card prices in the future, the smartest thing to do is say nothing. Hmm. But I guess I wasn't feeling that. That's no today. fun, is it? Yeah, I guess not. All right, two more to go. What is number two number, on this list? Number two is Tribute Mage. So that's the Trinket Mage that tutors for a CMC2 artifact. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's going to see so much play? There are a lot of very popular CMC2 artifacts out there. Mm -hmm. I agree. There are very many powerful two CMC artifacts. In some ways, it's better than our number one. Like This can be a part of a really proactive strategy. This can help you win the game. There are combo pieces mm -hmm. that this fetches out. But the reason it's not going to see as much play as the first one is because you really have to think about your package that you're fetching as you build your deck. I think that 
there are a decent number of like people who are new to the format or just like very casual who aren't putting a whole lot of thought into toolboxes and mm-hmm. optimization and like lots of gatherer searches like they just want to play their spiders and their bears I like that, though, about this card, that it's a tutor with a restriction mm-hmm. on it. I think oh. we could use more of those. I 100% agree. I think that tutors with restrictions help make niche archetypes better. Tutors without restrictions just make good stuff better. Yeah. And <laughs> lastly, number one is Generous Gift, which is the white Beast Within. For some context, Beast Within sees play in 30,000 decks on EDH Rec. That's a lot for a colored spell, yeah. right? Beast Within... Format staple, really powerful spell. It's an instant speed vindicate. Any deck is happy to have this effect in it. Generous Gift is exactly the same card in a color that needs it more, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. And because it's an uncommon, it's likely to be relatively cheap. I think that people can pick these up and they should for all of their white decks because there's yeah. not a lot of reason not to run this card. I have a feeling a lot of white commander precons going forward we'll have this card too oh, yeah. they, they will realize that this is a card people want a lot of oh i think they, they're gonna give it to us i think they already know this isn't a prediction but i wouldn't be surprised if we saw it in commander 2019 it sounds like a prediction to me that's not a prediction okay that's it for the top 10 those are just what we think is going to see the most adoption and now let's focus on what we're most excited to put in our decks my top five cards i'll go bottom to top goblin engineer i love Red artifact decks. I love Goblin Welder. Generous Gift. Yeah, I, I want it. Throws of Chaos. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Extremely excited to put this in my deck. Just smooth out my draws forever. I think I'm going to brew some more red decks because some of the ones I have just aren't can't use it that effectively and I just want to play with this card. Right. Tectonic Reformation for the same reasons. It does the same thing. I don't care. I want it in my deck. I want to play with it. And finally, Hall of Heliod's Generosity. I actually just recently took apart my Enchantress deck, but uh, I think we're, we're getting the band back together. What colors this time? The only thing that really matters is that it's white for Divine Intervention. Mm. And then beyond that, I'll figure the rest out later. What are the top five cards you are most excited to put in your decks? Yeah, so two of them are actually shared with your list. Throws of Chaos and Tectonic Reformation. I'm, I'm glad Red got these cards. Mm-hmm. And I will put them in my red X hmm. once I make my red X. <laughs> yeah, those are probably my numbers five and four on my list. Number mm-hmm. three would be the Canopy Lands. Lands with Cycling, I put in all my decks. Because mm-hmm. I love being able to trade my land draws for cards if I don't need the land drop, right? Mm-hmm. And these are like even better. I can play the land, use it, and then when I no longer need it, I can just toss it away and get a card, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're great. And they're going to go in all of my two and three color decks. I hope that we soon get the allied color ones too. Yeah, I think the canopy lands are great. And numbers two and one on my list are Force of Negation and Archmage's Charm. Mm-hmm. How many mono blue decks do you own? Um, I'm making my fourth at the moment for various reasons. They will only go in two of them, I think. Oh, so I only right. need I only need two of each because t- I t- tell us about the restrictions on your mono blue decks. Okay, is the cast not long enough, Nick? The good stuff's at the beginning. The the stuff they really need to hear. Yeah, evaluating all the cards. This is just the fluff where they get to know us. Yeah, this is like the disc two in the DVD set. Yeah, like exactly. The director's it's special features. Comments. Yeah. So I have three mono blue, obviously Talran decks, mm-hmm. and each one of them uses cards from like different eras of magic so the first one i made only has cards 
that were first printed in the original card frame. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be any card from Alpha until, I guess, Onslaught Block. Scourge. Scourge, yeah. right. Because when 8th edition was released, they introduced the new card frame that mm -hmm. looked, like visually was very different. And I like my decks to have like a coherent aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fun to, like it's a fun deck building exercise to give you that extra restriction. I can't just go on EDH Rec and be like, oh yeah, let's copy the Talrand list. Like I have to, at least like go a little further, right? Mm -hmm. And figure out what cards I want in my list. And it also like, I don't really have to worry as much about my deck being like too tuned because just by putting that restrictions on my deck building, like that automatically brings down the power level slightly. So my Talrand deck that has Mana Drain and Soul Ring and Time Warp, etc., mm -hmm. doesn't have Cyclonic Rift mm -hmm. because that was not printed originally in the old card frame, etc. right? Mm -hmm. And it can't play whatever the... Sphinx is called Consecrated Sphinx. Consecrated Sphinx, right. So I have one Talrand list that uses the old card frame. I have one Talrand list that uses the 8th edition card frame. Mm -hmm. And I have a third one that uses the M15 card frame, mm -hmm. which is when they introduced the, um, what's it called, the hologram yeah. at the bottom of the frame. It's very similar to the 8th edition. So but you've got one different. real deck and two decks that are probably fake. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So these two, Archmage's Charm and Force of Negation, would only go into the... Magic 2015 frame Talrap deck. Gotcha. That's that story. One last thing before we go. What's your favorite legendary creature from the set? I think it has to be Yawgmoth. Mm. Yawgmoth mm. is just a cool character. I think they really nailed the design of his card. The Urza card is very powerful, but I'm, I'm not really feeling the Urza card. Like, I'm feeling the Yawgmoth card. Mm -hmm. I think the Yawgmoth card is great. Other than Yawgmoth... I think actually Hogak has surprised me. The more I think about Hogak, <laughs> I like him. Maybe mm -hmm. I'll end up making my first Voltron list using Hogak. You, you've been flirting with some sort of aggro list for a little while now. I, I remember when I described the Xenagos list that appealed to you a little bit. Yeah. I think there is a Timmy deep down inside you. Yeah, Xenagos does appeal to me. I just haven't... I need to find my own twist on the Xenagos deck. Mm -hmm. I just don't want it to be a, your average Xenagos deck. My favorite legendary creature in the set is Yogmoth. And why is that? Because, so there are a lot of mono black commanders out there, and it's surprising that they're still able to find ways to make mono black commanders feel different. The fact that he proliferates is new, but feels very black. The fact that he's a discard outlet, there are so few good discard outlet commanders, so like, the fact that you actually get to use your madness cards or like a way to get value off of your bloodgast like just discarding bloodgast any of your self recurring creatures they're all free discards and they're all black cards that are good and especially good in a commander that also is a sack outlet that can repeatedly reuse them i would say he's my favorite mono black commander um, yeah i was going to ask like do you think a year from now he'll be at the top of the edh wreck black commander list i am inclined to say yes because there's a lot of stinkers up there <laughs> so currently gaunty is on the throne seeing gaunty's popularity was really interesting because it tells you a little bit about player psychology mm -hmm. you touched on this last week i think on the it, cast actually i was going to go for a different angle this time go I, ahead there's multiple reasons why gaunty is popular in addition to it being like a non-binary character that people can identify with I think it also just shows that people like this mechanic of taking some cards from your deck and I get to cast them using mana of whatever color. I don't think ETB commanders are good. I don't think they're fun to play with. Yep. 
But the fact that people are, are picking up what Gonti's putting down means that they must like something about the car mechanically. Yep. I think there's a lot of stinkers in Mono Black, and I definitely believe that Yogmoth's going to climb the ranks and be at the top. Another prediction. Nice. <laughs> you got to hold yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw stuff out there. We are putting down concrete. Here's the metric you are going to use to determine if we're just spouting bullcrap or not. Right, yeah. I think it's more fun if you make solid predictions. That is all we have to talk about. Last thing I want to say before we go, thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, and Charlotte. Thank you all for keeping the lights on here in the studio. We'll be back next week with a very sweet topic that I am excited to record. Unless something else comes up, some exciting magic news, next time we're going to be talking about tribes that are almost there that need a little bit of push to really be viable in Commander. It's going to be a great nice. podcast. That's very topical. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine Zach is back next week. Zach will probably be back, but right. next time Zach's out of town, you are welcome to, to come back on the podcast. Thank you. And... It's, it's been a blast. Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.